the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Hello, friends. Mike Lee here. I am the director of local ministries here at True Talk 800. 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, 93.1 El Rey, and brand new Talk 1640. And if you are a pastor or no one, make sure that you check out our websites, truetalk800.com and kpdq.com for your connection to a wonderful online resource for pastors it's called The Pastor's Page, and it'll tell you about all these different wonderful events coming up, too. And speaking of events, we have an old friend in the studio with us today. His name is Eldridge Broussard, not only the author of The Challenge to Change, he's also the gentleman who was the keynote speaker at the Clark County Prayer Breakfast of 2015, and he's also going to be a keynote speaker again, this time at Portland's Good Friday Breakfast coming to the Oregon Convention Center on March 25th. You won't want to miss that. So how are you today? I am doing pretty good. And beside him is Steve Halliday. He is the president of Hothouse Enterprises Incorporated, a communications company focusing on collaborative content creation and development in the traditional publishing and convergent media industries, which is far above my pay scale. So welcome, Steve. How are you today? Thanks. I'm doing well. It's good to be here. It's good to have you two here together. So first of all, what is your connection with Eldridge, Steve? Well, several years ago, probably five or six now, a mutual friend said, you need to get to know this guy named Eldridge. And so uh, we set up a time on email. I met him downtown and had our first conversation, which uh, was very interesting, wasn't it? It was very, very interesting. Um, and, and we just developed a friendship, um, actually. A lot of people meet us and they say, wow, you guys are great, you know, business associates. And, and it goes way deeper than that. Uh, me and Steve have, have grown to be very close, and he's definitely a part of my inner circle. I helped him move into his house, which was fun. <laughs> and I, I showed up on my bike, and I'm sure he thought, what in the world is this? I did a special bicycle at that, I might That's add. Right. So. How special a bicycle are we talking about? It's an electric bike. It was actually a bike E. They were designed down in Corvallis, but they weren't electric bikes. And uh, at one point, as I got older and lazier, I put an electric motor on it, and it's a lot of fun. Well, the important question is, Eldridge, is he good as a mover? He actually was. He, he actually complained. I, I hate to admit this on air, but he complained that he was working harder than I was, and I was the one moving into the house. So he, he definitely is a hard worker. Well, after moving multiple times over the years, Steve, I will argue that you didn't have any ties to the home he was vacating when he was moving to a new one. So it was easier for you than it was for Eldridge during this move. No, no doubt. So what is your connection, Steve Halliday, with Eldridge's book, The Challenge to Change? Uh, as El and I were talking, a lot of times in the gym, we'd, we'd meet for the gym, uh, at the gym, we'd both trying to get in shape, uh, we'd shoot baskets, and as we're shooting baskets, he started talking about different kinds of books that he might like to tackle. And I've been in the book industry now for over 30 years, 
And so he would tell me some of his ideas. Some of them were great. Some of them I thought, what in the world is this guy talking about? <laughs> and this was one of them. He thought his first book should be a quote book. And I thought, you don't want your first book to be a quote book. So over a long period of time, well, a couple of weeks anyway, we started talking about it. And then it came into shape for me, came into focus what he really meant. And as we started working on that, uh, it became the challenge to change. I think I was the one that came up with the title for it from some of the stuff that he had already said. And it's worked out really, really well for him. So that's my connection to that book. God, I cannot recommend the book enough. The, the Challenge to Change is a book of questions, and they're very smartly laid out on a weekly basis. I'm actually going through week 11 with my kids right now, okay. Elle, and some of the transparency I've gotten out of them has been absolutely shocking. For instance, one of my daughters, when uh, the question came up about why might you not attempt to try something, something along those lines. She said, because I want things to come easy to me. And if I'm not going to succeed, I don't want to try. And I just thought mm. that was incredibly transparent out of a young daughter of mine to be able to be not only ask this question to herself, but share it with the rest of her family unashamedly. So that's just one of the types of questions that you will be forced to ask yourself when you go through the challenge to change. Certainly worth a look, in my opinion. Eldridge, uh, what's the best way to get a copy of your book? Shamelessly promote yourself, bro. Or shall I just say, elspeaks.com is your website. Elspeaks.com. Yes, elspeaks.com or eldridgebroussard.com. And they can send me an email. It's it's not I get a question a lot about Amazon. We're working to get it on Amazon. But if they contact me through eldridgebroussard.com or elspeaks.com, um, we'll be able to get them a, a copy of the book. And don't feel a need to write this down, friends. I've put the link up on our website at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page. And I'll just leave it there to make your life easier. Because how many people can spell Broussard correctly the first time around? <laughs> you act like it's a common name, my goodness. So tell us more about this breakfast coming up. Eldridge, you've spoken at a bunch of places by now, not only here in the Portland area, but across the country. Uh, more recently, uh, one of the larger ones was the Clark County Prayer Breakfast. How did you enjoy that? I was so proud of you being able to go to the event and not only hang out with different churches and organizations and civic leaders and nonprofits, really trying to just support the local leadership. But how was that for you speaking at the Clark County Prayer Breakfast? It was amazing. Um, a, a true honor and privilege for me to be there and to encourage our civic leaders and to pray for our civic leaders. There's a lot going on in our country today. There's a lot going on with turmoil and, and division and all of these different things. So to be asked to speak at such a prestigious event that was all about prayer and foundationally supporting those in law enforcement and politics and, and our leaders was a huge honor for me. Well, that's for sure. You're a very inspirational person. If there was anything I was impressed by that day. Well, you and I go back several years, so it's yes. easier for me, but there was a solid line of people coming to your table to pick up a copy of your book, The Challenge to Change, and it was just wonderful how uniquely inspired they were after your speech. It's like they opened up to you, and they hadn't seen you simply for the first time, but you touched a chord in people's hearts. Is that still a rush when you speak at these different places? And can you share with our listeners what types of areas you like to speak in? Yes, it, it, it definitely is one of the biggest parts of what I get to do. And I, I won't necessarily say it's a rush, 
What it is is confirmation that I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on. It's confirmation to me that I'm fulfilling my purpose. I'm here and not a purpose of speaking, but a purpose of reaching and letting people know that they can own where they are in life. They can own, you know, who they want to be and they can overcome things. And one of the biggest things after um, speaking, selling the books is, is a huge thing, right? It supports the ministry. But hearing these stories of people, some that haven't had it as bad as me, but some who've had it a lot worse and seeing that I fall in the middle somewhere. And so that by me being an example and and telling people that you can have courage, that you can get out and speak and that you can own those bad decisions and it doesn't have to end the way it started. It's amazing to see the response and to hear these stories of where people are. And so it encourages me to keep going. And, And one of the things that I always say is that most of my life, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I prayed to be inconspicuous. I prayed that that I was invisible, that people didn't recognize my name because of the, my father, because of Oprah, because of all the things that they see. Growing up, that truly was a prayer for me. But now today in what I do, I get to meet people who say, I've been praying for you since nine years old. I've been praying since I saw your story on Oprah. I've been praying since I picked up the New York Times. I've been praying when I saw your thing in, in the Oregonian. And I realized that the support that I've had most of my life that I wasn't even aware of has really helped and propelled me, you know, to this point. So my story, fortunately or unfortunately, is a part of so many other stories. They can remember where they were when this story broke. And I didn't realize how much my life has impacted others. And I get to hear that when I travel to New York, when I travel to L.A. I mean, all over the country, I get to hear how my life has impacted, but also hear how they have been a part of me getting to this point through prayer. So as a recent visitor to the Georgina Rice Show, there are many listeners who already have a pretty good idea of your history, but I'd like to get into that in some depth later on in the program. But getting back to the book, The Challenge to Change, Steve, were you proud of the product at the end? Are there certain things that have inspired you personally about the book, The Challenge to Change, from Eldridge Broussard, in addition to your contributions, not only as an editorial and creative guru to an extent, but also just as a friend. If you if you had to describe the book to a complete stranger who'd never heard about The Challenge to Change, how would you describe The Challenge to Change, Steve Halliday? It really comes from the title itself, The Challenge to Change. There is a challenge for us all to change, to become the kind of people that we want to be, to become the kind of people that we believe God is calling us to be. And the collection of quotes, along with the very specific questions that Eldridge has put together with them, one a day, really help people to get to the point where they start to understand, start to see, sometimes just glimpse, maybe just taste, maybe they just smell, that this is what I think maybe I'm called to be, I'm called to do. And it's amazing how powerful just questions themselves can be when it's paired with some kind of insight that is especially well put. You know, you see it all the time. I don't want to make this into a Bible study, but you see it all the time when you look at the way Jesus teaches. Very often, he's asking questions, and he leaves them hanging in the air. You know, in our evangelical churches, very seldom do we do that. We want to tie everything up in a nice little bow. He's often asking questions, because those are the things that frequently get to the heart of people, and I think that's what the challenge to change does. It's why so many people have reported such a great uh, insight coming to them from working through those things. That's what I'd say. So for me personally, uh, Eldridge and I got to catch up a little bit uh, back after 
his interview on the Georgine Rice show. And it's like God put the same message into our head from very different perspectives. And Eldridge, correct me if I'm wrong, but the quote that you that you had given me really struck me. And that was, uh, of late, I've been thinking about what is speaking the truth in love. And I think that many of us in the church are guilty of lying. All right. And there's a difference between speaking positive words and lying about something so that you can be an encourager and get a pat on the back. And my uh, illustration was, how many people do you see going on X Factor, The Voice, America's Got Talent, American Idol, who have no business being in a singing competition? They're absolute train wrecks on the mic, which doesn't make them bad people. But my mama said I could sing. And (laughs) they go on and they embarrass themselves in front of the country. So the quote was something along the lines of, Speaking truth without love is brutality, but speaking love without truth is hypocrisy. So That's exactly what it did was. Did I get that right, Eldridge? Yes, sir. You got it. And just to be honest with the reason a friend sent that to me is because I'm a truth teller. I believe in truth so much. And I know that I lacked on the love side, and that was a hard thing for me growing up in the streets. Growing up, I, I hardened myself, and he sent me that um, just as a reminder for me, and, and I have men who, who pour into me, and he said, El, always remember that truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And that quote just, it sticks with me, and I, and I share that whenever I'm able to. When we return with Steve Halliday and Eldridge Broussard of the Challenge to Change, we're going to elaborate more on that. And don't forget about the Portland Good Friday Breakfast at the Oregon Convention Center coming up on March 25th. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Clark Hilton is across the glass, keeping things smooth like pretty much no one else I've ever met, and very humbly as well. Also humble is Steve Halliday, the president of Hot House Enterprises Incorporated, alongside our pal Eldridge Broussard, who is not only the author of The Challenge to Change, which you need to get a copy of, friends. Trust me on this one. Check out the link on the website, True Talk 800, on the Difference Makers page. But Steve, you're relatively laid back and quiet about yourself. I have to read Steve's credentials to you, though, friends. More than 30 years, he's had a publishing career working closely with authors besides Eldridge and Luis Palau and Ron Mel. Some names you may have heard of before, including John Piper, Chuck Swindoll, Max Lucado, Jimmy Carter, Charles Stanley, John Townsend, Anyone obscure among this list that someone wouldn't expect, you know, any pro wrestlers or, or <laughs> like, these are some really impressive names that you've worked alongside, Steve. Thanks. Well, it's been a pleasure to work with, with uh, just about all of them. I mean, they're, most of these guys rose to the places they are because they are what they seem to be in front of the public. That isn't always true. Uh, but most of these guys uh, and some of the women that are on that list are exactly that. Is that the most refreshing part of collaborating with authors, just meeting someone who is exactly in person as they are when they write? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the real things that is that is a lot of fun about this career. Max Licato is probably the one that comes to mind most because he, he really is. Every, every uh, instance where I've seen him and every environment I've seen him, he is there what he always is. He doesn't change when he's in front of thousands of people and – when he's with two people in a small room someplace getting ready for a radio interview, it doesn't change. Uh, that makes life easier to live in one sense that you don't have to remember how you're supposed to appear to this group or that group. 
But it also is refreshing because I also have worked with some folks, and they wouldn't be on this list, that are not like that. And you do one book with them, and that's kind of enough. You know, that's you don't go around telling who they are, but that's enough. I, you know, God bless them, but they need to work with somebody else now. Interesting. So tell us about your career in publishing and about your collaboration with Eldridge, not only as a friend, but now that he has written The Challenge to Change. How has that been for you? Uh, El was great to work with. He was one of those authors that you delight to work with, and I'm not saying that just because he's my friend and he's sitting next to me, but he interacts with what you're saying. Some people, when you work with them, especially if you've had a lot of years of experience, they tend to think that I need to do whatever you tell me to do, and the best collaboration is never like that. I want them to hear what my opinion is. I want them to hear what my uh, perspective might be. But it's their book. It's not my book. And I'm here to help them create the best book possible. I don't want it to be my book. If I wanted to be my book, I'd write my own book. You so know? you're not a ghostwriter type by any I'm means. Not, you know, you want to help writer, them write. No, a ghostwriter, I mean, by strict definition, is say a publisher comes to you and says, uh, we want a book by Dr. X. He's not going to do any work on it. You're not going to have any access to him. You're going to write the whole thing. Um, we're going to put his name on it. Your name isn't going to appear anywhere in there. That's why you're a ghost. You're invisible. We're going to pay you some outrageous sum of money, but da-da-da-da. I have been approached to do that a couple times. I always turn them down because it feels like lying to me. I mean, one of the stories, too, that I always keep in mind, uh, I don't even remember who the people were involved, but years ago this did happen. Some publisher did exactly that. Somebody writes a book for this guy. He goes on a radio program much like this one. The interviewer had read the book, which, as you know, frequently isn't the case on some stations, started asking him questions about this, and the author gave precisely the opposite answer as was in the book. Wow. And it turned out that he had not even read his own, quote-unquote, book. Uh, that's but, lying to me. And I'm sure he didn't turn down the uh, paycheck. No, it, though. no. Very interesting. So tell us about some of your own books, Steve Halliday. It says that you are a gold medallion winner for How Majestic Is Thy Name. First of all, uh, educate me. What is the gold medallion? And tell us a little bit about your book, How Majestic Is Thy Name, author Steve Halliday. The ECPA is the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. Every year they give out awards to some of the best books that are created in certain categories. How Majestic Is Thy Name came out in the gift category. It was a collaboration with me and uh, my good friend Pat Edmonds of Left Coast Design. And Steve Terrell, a lot of his photographs, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Great photography all the way throughout. But what we wanted to do was to show people from a macro viewpoint to a micro viewpoint how amazing this universe and world is. And yet, when you compare it to God himself, it's minuscule. So the whole purpose of that book was to fill people with a kind of wonder and awe at the creation, but then to get the very real sense that as amazing as that is, it pales to nothing in comparison to God himself. So that was How Majestic Is Thy Name. Uh, uh, that is still being sold. I think that's probably about 10 years old now. Uh, one of my favorite books was a collaboration I did with one of my um, uh, professors at Bethel that was called uh, How Great Thou Art, 365 Reasons Why God is Awesome. That was a fun, fun book to do. So was it fun collaborating with someone you studied under? It was. Um, now, I, I wish I could say that he did as much as I had hoped he would. I ended up still doing a lot of the research myself, but the few that he did come up with were really, really good. And the, the finished product to me 
was uh, I still read that thing today, and it still also is still uh, being sold today, and it's uh, it's just a lot of fun to read it and to hear comments from people uh, who have enjoyed it and have benefited by it. So, Steve Halliday of Hothouse Enterprises, what exactly are you looking forward to at Eldridge's appearance as the keynote speaker at the Portland Good Friday Breakfast coming up on March 25th? Well, El is is a really a unique individual. I mean, I've met a lot of people in my career in what I do, meeting them in a lot of different contexts. Eldridge is an extremely insightful person who has a insight into people's um, the way they operate, the way they think, and helping them to come to a place to say, you know what, I may not like where I am now, but I don't have to be stuck here. So. Regardless of what he speaks about, one of the reasons why so many people flock to him afterwards is because he touches that uh, part deep within them that they want to see change. And they know that he's done it, and so they want to see, is there any way that that could be duplicated in my own life? And so regardless of the topic that he's speaking about, that's one of the things that frequently happens. It's why people line up to speak to him afterwards because he's touched something in their deepest part of their soul that they realize, I want to change, but I'm stuck and I don't know how to do it. So even though we all have different stories and histories, they take Eldridge Broussard's story to heart to the point where if this man coming from that story can change his history and his future so drastically, can't anyone by the grace of God? Yeah, exactly. So it's inspiring like that. It's very inspiring, and it's not only inspiring. Sometimes you walk away from inspiring messages, and for the first five minutes you're still on the high, and 15 minutes later you can't quite recall what they said. That is not true of Eldridge. Once you hear him, once you hear either whether he's talking about his story or something else, it sticks, and it you start to think about certain things, not just the way they were in his life, but as you said, how could that relate to what I want to see different in my own life? That's what I think one of the reasons why he has such a profound impact on audience of all different kinds. And as a publishing expert, Steve Halliday, did Eldridge throw anything at you that surprised you in a good way when it came to writing The Challenge to Change? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was such a delight to me, because it doesn't happen that often, is that we would talk through what either some of the changes needed to be in the book or some suggestions And he would never simply accept them or reject them. We would talk through them. And very often we came to a third thing that neither one of us had thought before. That doesn't happen as often as you would like to see it. It happened with Eldridge all the time. And a lot of it is because he's a good listener, which is what makes him into a good speaker, I think. So do you think that a lot of us in the church fail to be so deeply honest because we don't want to offend someone to the point where we make ourselves less effective. It seems like you two could slug it out with each other and speak truth in love without hiding the actual truth to the point where you came up with a synergy where the final product was better than the sum of its parts. No, I think that's true. So so do we do that in the church? Are we trying too hard to be nice? Are we afraid of confrontation? Yeah, I've said for a long time that I think in most of our churches, we misunderstand the difference between being gracious and being nice. In our churches, we're very nice, but we're often not very gracious. And the way I like to try to have people understand it is, well, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
doesn't mean that sometimes he was full of truth and sometimes he was full of grace. He was always full of both. So was he full of grace when he turns to his best friend, Simon Peter, and says, get behind me, Satan? It's not being nice, but it is being gracious because his primary concern was to move Peter to the place where he needed to be, and that's what it took at that moment. I totally agree, and to be honest, when you say we're able to duke it out, I think me and Steve's first argument came on our private retreat when we we went out of town for three days just to to throw ideas on the board and to look at some things, and, and we went at it. It was the very first time, and a lot of people, relationships in there— I think our relationship got better there um, because conflict is not a bad thing. As Christians, a lot of times, once we accept Christ, people consider conflict after that a bad thing. Conflict isn't bad. How you deal with the conflict can be bad and what the conflict leads you to feel or do afterwards can be bad. But conflict in itself isn't a bad thing. And I would say, too, that some people would look at our friendship and say, how in the world does that thing work? I mean, Steve, you're in your late 50s. Eldridge is in his late 30s. Steve, you have a PhD. He has a GED. You're white. He's black. Steve, you're a nice guy in L. I mean, you know. <laughs> but don't forget that. that I'm the good-looking guy, right? <laughs> that's, so, that's absolutely true. No, we, but we often get asked, um, once again, most people think we have this professional relationship. And at the very beginning, we talked about our friendship never being um, – never being penetrated about business. Like when we get together to talk, friendship always becomes becomes before business. And so we're friends first. And this book, literally, this book came out of us working out together five days a week. We didn't work out together to do a book. We worked out together so we could both get in shape and we can both have our wives when we come home say, wow, look at those arms. And I don't know that we accomplished that. But out of us working out and being friends came this book. The book is The Challenge to Change. We are speaking with author Eldridge Broussard and also Steve Halliday. And we've got more with Steve and Eldridge next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Don't miss Portland's Good Friday Breakfast coming March 25th to the Oregon Convention Center with our dear friend Eldridge Broussard being the keynote speaker. He is the author of The Challenge to Change. And alongside Eldridge, we have Steve Halliday, president of Hot House Enterprises, a very humble man who's very good at what he's done throughout his publishing career, working alongside names like John Townsend, John Maxwell, Dennis Rainey, Hank Hanegraaff, Randy Alcorn, Sheila Walsh, Nikki Cruz, and Stuart Briscoe, you had mentioned, uh, was somewhat special, wasn't he, Steve? Uh, Stuart is great, both Stuart and his wife, Jill. They're, they're wonderful people. They're a lot of fun to be around. I was with him one time, and a young guy came up to him, and a very earnest young man wanted to know what his spiritual gift is. Well, Stuart always cuts to the chase, but he always does it with a little bit of humor. And so the guy asked him, how can I know what my spiritual gift is? And Stuart says, so, you want to know what your spiritual gift is? Well, I shall tell you what to do. You try to do something, and if you can do it, you've got to. You can't, you don't. That's it. <laughs> and the guy <laughs> looked crushed, but I thought that's brilliant, because that's essentially what you do. You don't necessarily, I mean, all these tests can help. But you have to find out what you're good at, and you do that by doing it. That reminds me of the old comic strip, B.C., when people would climb the mountain to talk to the guru to get some great wisdom, and he'd just give them something plain and simple and commonsensical. So my old pastor back in New York at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle's name was Gary Zarlingo, and his answer to that question, which is really fairly common about 
who am I? What do I do with the rest of my life? And what do I find my gift in? His answer to that was, do what you know, then you'll know what to do. <laughs> that stuck with me all these years later. Yeah. yeah. Stuart, hey, there's another favorite story from Stuart. I wasn't there for this one, but he was speaking at some conference in the Deep South at some point. And it was during the uh, counterculture days. And he was talking about how wonderful it was to have all these kids with long hair coming into his church. And as he's talking, he says he's looking at this front row of pastors, all of whom are overweight, uh, white shirts, gray ties, gray suits, and they are not buying it. And then suddenly in the middle of his talk, one of them shouts out, Can you tell me why all these young people want to wear their hair so they look like mop heads? And Stuart, without breaking stride, says, no, sir, I can't tell you why they all wish to look like mop heads, but I suppose it's the same reason you all wish to look like flat black toothbrushes. <laughs> he said they never asked him back and he didn't care. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Steve Halliday, in addition to being the president of Hot House Enterprises, Inc., you just finished a short manuscript, and it seems like it's pretty close to your heart. Would you like to share about that, Steve? Yeah, it's it's called God Isn't Finished With You Yet, and it really comes out of our story uh, at Regent. I went back to school late in life. Actually, I did a lot of things late in life. I didn't get married until I was 41. Lisa and I didn't have kids for seven years because she had to get some mercury out of her system. So all my friends my age have kids that are graduating from college, getting married, having kids, and uh, I have a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and now a one-and-a-half-year-old. But we went to Regent when our girls were three and two, and I knew that God was calling us there. I knew that I wanted to expand what I did. I could see what was happening publishing, wanted to change some things, expand some things, wasn't sure what that would be. He very clearly led us to Regent, but I couldn't figure out how in the world am I going to pay for it? This is expensive. And why am I doing a doctorate? I don't intend to teach. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And it, re- it put me in the hospital. About a month after we got there, I was in the hospital for two weeks, um, started the Pastor or the uh, doctoral program uh, a month later than everybody else, which is not a great way to start a PhD program. And I descended into the darkest depression of my life. And at one point, I even was convinced I couldn't be a Christian. And it took several months to pull out of that. I thought every day I was saying, we need to go home. And my wife, Lisa, who is wonderful, kept saying, you know what? We both believe that God has called us here. We're here. Let's see if we can make it. And through a whole series of things, there's way too many to talk about here, but it's one of those stories where God puts in place just the right person, the right thing to keep you there. We were there the first semester, got done the first semester. I said, let's go home now. And she said the same thing. Well, it was because of that and because of one of my profs that we really stayed there. Um, But in that spring, when I was finally starting to come out of it, I went to a, a church one time to drop off a, a book, and uh, a couple ladies were there, asked if they could pray with us. I said, sure, I'm always up for people praying for me. They didn't say anything remarkable, and as I'm walking away, one of them didn't take her eyes off me. She pointed her finger at me, and she said, God is not finished with you yet. Well, I hadn't told them anything about our story, and it hit me like an electric lightning bolt from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. So you had no experience with this woman whatsoever. No, I didn't know But she just somehow felt led to share this word with you. And that's all she said. It wasn't anything more personal than that. God is not finished with you yet. But those were precisely the words I needed at that point, because I thought he was done with me. And this little book I've written, it's not an autobiographical thing, although there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in there. It's really for people who think, God is done with me. You know, maybe they have messed up. 
Maybe things have happened to them. Maybe their health has gone astray. And whatever it is, there's for all kinds of reasons, and I've met folks who believe God is done with me. I don't know why, but he is. And I wrote this little book out of that depths of my own soul to say, no, even when you think he is, he's not. And in fact, he's probably working even at the darkest part when you don't even know it, but you can't see it. So it's as if God needed you to go through this season to get such a deep perspective on God not being finished with you. Yeah, I think so, but I wouldn't probably say it exactly like that. It wasn't that he needed me to go through that so that I could come to some insight. Sometimes we think like that. Life is a lot more complicated than that. I'm sure the time was darker than it needed to be simply because of the way I responded to it. But the point is, God always takes what is in our lives, and because he's not finished with us, he will take even that thing and turn it around for good. And that's exactly what we saw happen at Regent. And Eldridge would say the same thing in his whole story. Absolutely. And it's actually that story he shared, which I didn't know he was going to share today, is what brought us together. Our very first meeting, he shared the darkness of that. And I said, if I'm going to write a book, because I wasn't sold on writing a book yet, if I'm going to write a book, this is the type of guy that has to write my book. One of the things I love about you, Eldridge Broussard, is... You're not one to blindly follow anyone else's lead. You're meticulous about trying to figure out why exactly you're going to do what you do. You don't haphazardly follow an enigmatic or charismatic speaker. You really do your homework on things like that. So for you to team up with Steve Halliday is high praise indeed, that you would not go further in the suggestion, oh, you should write a book, without learning more through Steve Halliday. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, to know who he was. I wanted to know what he was about. And like I said, that first story, um, it floored me that he was willing to share that. Here's a guy with a PhD. Here's a guy who's reading books for President Jimmy Carter, who's reading books for John Maxwell, who I'm a certified speaker through. Here's this guy who's done some things that I don't know if I'll ever be able to accomplish. But yet the first story he tells me is a, about him being at his lowest. And as I travel the country, I meet a lot of people. I've had publishers come and offer me things and agents come off and you they never talk to you like that. It's never the humanity of who they are. They never talk to you in a human way. And my first conversations with Steve, probably our first three or four, were never about him writing a book for me. There were always things that I learned from because when I met him, I was not in a good place in my life. I was struggling. And actually, the mutual friend who introduced us said, you need to talk to him because he's in the book world. And I'm saying, well, I don't really want to meet him because I don't want to write a book, right? I, I, I was resisting what now is clear was my path. And Steve allowed me to, to come to grips with that in my own timing. He didn't push me. But along that journey, he shared with me his life experiences. And in that, I became to trust and, and start taking guidance and advice from him. And like I said, it turned into an incredible friendship where I'm able to support him and he supports me. I push him and he pushes me. And, and it, honestly, I thank him for showing me what that looks like, even from someone who's so accomplished, because I'm not used to seeing that. And one result of this friendship is the book, The Challenge to Change. So, Steve, I want to find out more about your background before the Regent story. Can you tell us where you grew up? Oh, sure. I'm from the Midwest, good Midwest boy, southern Wisconsin, right on the Illinois border. In fact, you cross Sherland Avenue and you're in South Beloit, Illinois. Uh, I had a double major in college journalism and Spanish and uh, became a newspaper reporter until I went to seminary. It was at Bethel Seminary in Arden Hills, Minnesota for a couple of years till I couldn't stand it anymore. That's a longer story. 
the, church, the, the school has changed since then, let's say that. <laughs> but that's actually when I came out to Oregon. Um, the first job I was able to find was actually at Multnomah Press, which was on the Portland in those days. It was a part of what was then called Multnomah School of the Bible. Um, ended up working for the press, was there for eight years till it was sold in 92. And in 92, I was offered to become the editorial director of the company that bought us, but decided I was single at the time and thought, uh, I've only lived in a real small town one year or one summer. And this was in a town that was a tenth that size. And I thought, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I went freelance. So since then, I've been a freelancer working with all different kinds of companies and uh, authors on all kinds of different book projects. So before you went to Bethel, when did your faith become your own? Did you grow up in a church-going family? Yes and no. My mom was a believer. My dad was not. Uh, he was never antagonistic, though. He was the one that—my mom is the one who wanted us to go to church. My dad is the one who made us go. He's the one to put us the dime in our pudgy little hands to put in the offering plate. But he never went himself unless we were doing something in church or on Christmas and Easter. Um, but I became a Christian when I was about four. I remember hearing uh, the story in Sunday school, and I came home, and that's where I— I prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. And so I never went through a real rebellious stage like a couple of my siblings did. Um, I was involved with InterVarsity. I was the pres- chapter president when I was uh, there at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Um, but that doesn't mean your life is free and easy and, and uh, without any difficulty, as you've already heard. Also an associate professor of mass media arts for Houston Baptist University. And do we have any other news for you more locally? Yeah, just this week, uh, Corbin University has asked me to come on their faculty and work in their communication and uh, media arts department. Wonderful. Steve Halliday has collaborated with author Eldridge Broussard on The Challenge to Change. You won't want to miss Eldridge's keynote speech at Portland's Good Friday Breakfast coming to the Oregon Convention Center on March 25th, and we're going to get into the history of Eldridge Broussard next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. This is Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here, having a great time getting to know Steve Halliday, the president of Hot House Enterprises, a publishing guru alongside our old friend Eldridge Broussard, who is the author of The Challenge to Change. He was the keynote speaker at the Clark County Prayer Breakfast of 2015, and he will be the keynote speaker at this year's Portland's Good Friday Breakfast at the Oregon Convention Center coming up on Friday, March 25th. You can find more information at portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. That's portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. And about Eldridge, you can either go to eldridgebroussard.com. And if you need an easier spelled website, try lspeaks.com. That's elspeaks.com. So Eldridge, for those of us who are less familiar with you and your story, where would you like to begin? Well, my my story um, begins before I was born um, because I, I was born and I have the namesake of my father, Eldridge Broussard. Eldridge John Broussard Jr., and I'm the third. And so my dad was a, a popular basketball player, um, went to U of O, um, was drafted by the Blazers in 1974. And so there's a lot of positives with the shadow that I followed, um, whether it's sports side or whether it's what's became to be a negative, I believe, for so long with um, my sister being um, murdered and um, us having to go to foster care when I was nine. And then you know, me dropping out of school in the 10th grade and eventually me going to prison at 18, which 
for those who want to hear about it, I will be sharing this story at the Good Friday Breakfast. But there's been so much turmoil and so much grief that I've had to overcome. Um, so my background has been of one of me growing up in the shadow of a man that so many loved and then a man that so many despise. And how do I follow in that? And when I meet people, I would take on what they felt about him. And so a lot of people call me Mr. Own Who You Are because it's the name of a lot of, of my workshops or some of my speaking and owning who you are. And they say, well, where did that come from? And that came from me trying to own who I am in the shadow of all of this. And not that one was good and one was bad, but in both. Who am I? I'm not my father. And it took so long for me to understand my identity, but also the role that my father played. I spent most of my life trying to get away from it and run from him when I needed to embrace that and I needed to learn from that. And so today I sit here loving my father, proud of the legacy he left, and also knowing that I need to undo and not follow in some of the decisions he made. And so it took a long time for me to own that and to say, wow, I'm like him in so many ways. And that's not a bad thing like I was thinking, but I also don't want to make some of the same mistakes he's made. And so owning who you are and, and my story has come out of me trying to un- understand a story that I had no choice of being a part of. Elder Broussard, Steve Halliday, I'll, I'll toss this out to both of you. Why do you think we do that? Is it human nature to take our upbringing and say, well, I'll make sure I do this differently. I'll show them. And then we rebel the other way. For instance, my parents were wonderful with their finances and they pinched pennies. And they always, in my opinion, as a stupid 20-something, they didn't have fun. So I was going to show them. I was going to swing the opposite direction. And when you're a college dropout at age 19, you have dangerous amounts of credit thrown at you. So I lived up in the other direction. So is there a way that we could figure out how to keep the good from our experiences and then throw out the bad? What's the expression when you're eating fish? Keep the meat throughout the bones. Well, I think part of it is, once again, owning who you are to, to, to explain it briefly is Knowing who you are and discovering that. That's what this first book, The Challenge to Change, is about. That's why it's the questions, is finding out who you are and then owning that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes that means saying, do I truly believe what my parents taught me? Am I going to embrace the values, the traditions, the cultures that they introduced me to? And when we become 18 or when we graduate at 21 from high school, I mean college, and then when we go on to our lives, sometimes I meet so many people who live out values that they truly don't have. And so I'm living something that I was raised with, where if you really look at my behavior and if you really talk to me, I don't believe it at all. But it's what I was taught and it's all I know. And so sometimes it's not a conscious decision to be trapped in what we're doing. It's an unconscious decision because we haven't gotten in tune with ourselves. We don't even know why we believe what we believe. We don't. We or, don't. Or what we truly believe deep down inside versus what our parents gave us. And part of it, I think, too, is that so many people are out there. And you know, you've read this list of, of uh, authors who are very, very accomplished. But many of them struggle with the same thing, and that is if people really – I don't want to tell you who I am. I don't want to own who I am because I don't want you to know who I really am. If you really knew who I am, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't listen to me. I wouldn't be able to have these crowds of thousands of people listening to me if you really knew. Therefore, I will not own who I am. And it is surprising to me how many people deal with that. One of my authors who knows a lot of folks in very high uh, arenas – 
is working with a guy who's a retired general, two-star general. And he came to him after he had retired and wondered what he could do. And he said the same thing that I've heard over and over again from people, and that is, who would want me? What can I do? No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and so that's why, honestly, Mike, I do what I do. Um, because I was there. I was stuck. I didn't know who I was. I thought I had to be whatever people told me I was. And I wanted to get to know me for me. I wanted to live my life and be happy with the decisions that I made. But I had no idea what I believed, who I was about, or what I was about, who I was. And so that journey for myself is now what I want to help others learn how to do for themselves. So Eldridge Broussard, were you able to come to grips in terms with who you were before or after you came to know the Lord? Or was this an ongoing process? Well, the easy answer is, no, it wasn't before I became to know the Lord, because I've known the Lord for as long as I can remember. Um, growing up, I was raised differently. My dad fo- started an organization called Ecclesia that I honestly can't explain to you what it was, but we lived in an old refurbished bakery and I grew up with about 200 people. We lived in a commune. I grew up in relationship. And so I've had the Roman letter memorized since I was nine years old. That's one of the things my dad told us is everything you go through in life, the book of Romans will deal with that. So I've always heard about God and I've always known of God. So when you say before that, I loved God. My life changed when I got to know God because of me, and I started to see what God was doing in my life versus believing in the God my dad told me about. And not that that God was any different, but that I'm now I'm having my own experiences with the God I'm choosing to follow versus believing in some. All of us do. My father says this is real, so it's real. Our dads are our first heroes. And so I believed in God because it was what my father said, not because I had faith in him myself. So my life changed when I found my faith, but I always knew of this God. So you owned your own faith very early on, but it changed when you became your own man versus your father's son, Eldridge. Yes. And not, not just it changing. When my father passed away when I was 12, I turned against God because it was, I believed in this God, but it was, how can this God allow my sister to be murdered? How can this God take my father from me? How can this God allow me to be in foster care? So I rebelled after loving a God because there was no true reason why I love this God other than knowing my father said this God was so great. And so once again, in owning who you are, We have to figure out why are we believing in this God for ourselves? And if it's just because my mom or my dad or if it's just because grandma took me to church, that faith won't be enough to sustain us through the things that we go through. We have to understand, for whatever reason it is for us, why this God is someone that I'm willing to commit to. When I figured that out for me, my life started to change. It has been an absolute privilege speaking with Eldridge Broussard, who is the author of The Challenge to Change. And he'll also be the keynote speaker at Portland's Good Friday Breakfast coming March 25th to the Oregon Convention Center. More information online at portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. That's portlandgoodfridaybreakfast.org. As always, these links are on our website at truetalkat100.com and kpdq.com. And thank you so much, Steve Halliday of Hot House Enterprises, for joining us today. And it's been an absolute privilege getting to know both of you better Own who you are. It's all about owning who you are and knowing why you do what you do. 
Thank you for the challenge to change, Steve Halliday and Eldridge Broussard. And thank you for joining us right here on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 